Thank you for joining me a little early tonight. It's my turn to prepare the campfire, so I thought it would be a good time to get you alone. The others... Well, we have to be really guarded about who we let in. Who we trust with these stories. After what happened in 1993, we can't be too careful. I think the reason everyone seems to like you is because you don't ask questions. But you have some, right? After all these stories. Maybe some of it's starting to come together. Maybe you already know. The tale of the boogie woman was the first we shared. A story of a tortured girl, Sarah, held captive by her mother in the woods. In a small town 200 years ago, there lived a woman on her own. You'd think her neighbors would be impressed by her ability to sustain herself alone, but back then, it just alienated her. Rumors spread about the dark and dirty things she'd do, and she got used to keeping to herself. After meeting one summer night, she found herself entangled with the mayor's son. In the cover of warm darkness, their identities didn't matter. He was free from his last name, and she was free from hearsay. Meet me here again. Tomorrow? I wouldn't be anywhere else. They met again and again in secret, lasting almost a year before she found herself with child. It didn't matter to her what others would think, nor did she consider the implications of sharing this news with her lover. She was overjoyed. And sure, he'd be eager to provide his child with nothing but the best. Yet when she delivered the news, his face went cold. The light in his eyes vanished, and his forehead creased intensely. She repeated the news, thinking he may have misheard. Don't you see what a mistake you've made? She couldn't pull enough air in her lungs to say a word. My father would never accept you or your bastard child. What makes you think anyone else would? You've ruined everything. His attendants arrived to guide her away, and she didn't have the will to fight. In an instant, the man she loved became a stranger, and everything she held so dear had been ripped away from her. His eyes had said it all. She was no longer welcome here. With a heart shattered beyond repair, she collected her belongings and fled to the woods. There, she built a small shack with her own two hands, and by the time her daughter arrived, they had a suitable home. Despite the woman's best efforts, she saw her daughter as a nuisance, a reminder of the happy life she'd never live. As Sarah grew to walk and talk, her mother only resented her more. Sarah was banished to the dark and dingy cellar, a damp, infested pit underneath the house, and her mother lived above in solitude. Sarah was given only the smallest bits of sustenance to keep her alive, and over the years, she grew up in darkness. Waiting for the days to pass, waiting for her mother to have a change of heart, waiting for anything, any sort of change, any sort of kindness. Many nights her mother would run away into the woods to fetch food or other goods. As soon as Sarah saw her disappear into the trees through the basement grate, she would wail to the sky, 
she was desperate for her cries to reach someone, anyone who could save her from her daily pain. She'd cry until her voice and energy had completely run their course and would fall asleep by the time her mother returned home by the light of the moon. But one night, someone did hear Sarah's calls. A group of children exploring the forest heard a terrible, painful sound and followed it as it got louder and louder. They found a shack of a house that barely stood out from the dense trees around it. The sounds were coming from the side of the building, where there was a small grated window no larger than a hat box. Through the rusted grating, the children could just make out the whites of Sarah's eyes. At first, she was afraid to speak to them. She had never met a strange face. But the children were kind. They asked her questions. Before she knew it, she shared her entire story of being locked away from her mother's abuse. The children listened silently to every word. When she was finished, they thanked her and told her they'd return one day. Whenever that was, she thought, it couldn't be soon enough. Not long after, an even larger group of children came to visit. Sarah was thrilled by the company, and since she had already shared her story, she made up something else. She pulled from her private hell of darkness and solitude, of crying out in vain, of never feeling love. The children devoured each and every word. As time passed, Sarah begged the children not to return so often. It was harder to keep them quiet, and they never knew when her mother could return. But the kids loved Sarah, and Sarah loved her audience. She'd remind them of the risk, and they'd distract her with fruits and candies before disappearing back into the trees, headed towards villages she'd never see herself. Then one night, Sarah's worst fear came true. Get away from there! Her mother shrieked, running towards the house, and the children gathered around the grate. They screamed and scattered, and Sarah knew to expect something dreadful as her mother descended the stairs. What did you tell them? What were you saying? It was nothing. I was telling them a story. You will never see those kids again! Sarah was frozen in fear. The last thing she saw was her mother picking up a metal spoon before her eyes were gouged from their sockets. After that, Sarah continued to cry out into the darkness, though of course there were no tears falling down her cheeks. Weeks passed, but the children did return. At first they were scared of her change in appearance, the stained bandages wrapped around her head, but they were easily distracted by another story this time about the witch who lived upstairs. The children wanted to set her free, but didn't know how. One boy offered a scrap of parchment and a pencil, vowing to deliver a message for Sarah and return with help. She took the items, unsure of what to do with them, and though she thought she'd hidden them sufficiently, they were easily spotted when her mother reappeared the following morning. What is this? But Sarah didn't know. What are you doing with this? Who taught you to write? I just wanted to tell them a story. Give me your hands. 
But Sarah refused. Give me your hands. So Sarah did. And though she couldn't see it, her mother was holding a cleaver, which came down with such force that it cut through her wrists, even though it wasn't sharp at all. You'll never use those hands again! Her mother was gone. Unable to see and unable to use her hands for sight, Sarah began to waste away. The children hadn't come back in so long, and Sarah no longer wept to the sky. Much time passed before Sarah heard her mother heading back into town by moonlight. Then, a familiar rustle she hadn't heard in forever. The children had returned. With all of her strength, she rose and stepped towards the window, beckoning the children to respond, offering a story, a secret, anything to keep her company. But it wasn't a child who responded. It was her mother, who hadn't gone to town at all. And it was her mother, who came back into the house with a large pair of rusty scissors. And it was her mother who used those scissors to cut out Sarah's tongue. You will never tell your stories again. Not long after that, the shack burnt to the ground, and both Sarah and her mother perished in the fire. All that was left was a clearing in the woods. The same clearing where we gather now. The children returned on the first anniversary of the tragedy and built a campfire of their own, celebrating Sarah by sharing the stories she told them. They vowed to continue her legacy, meeting in secret by the light of the moon, and eventually adopted the name The Moonlight Order. The seven original children each recorded copies of the stories into diaries, promising they'd reach eyes and ears beyond their own. And as time passed, they added local legends to the pages and stories whispered at summer camps and sleepovers, or sometimes pulled from the news. The stories that spread the furthest tended to become a melting pot of new characters, beginnings, and ends— some were combined, and some forgotten. But every single one of them is true, somehow. Beyond the spectacle, underneath the blood and guts, at the core of every scary story is the truth. Some prefer to stay in the dark and think the unfathomable could never happen to them. But the others, the rest of us, we accept that our world is filled with horrors beyond imagination, and monsters are real. By the 80s, the Order met weekly, after so many generations had dutifully passed the tradition on to the next, the latest had stopped respecting the stories. For them, it was more about a chance to hang out than recognizing any sort of responsibility. On October 8th, 1993, someone brought a friend. Like all potential new members, she was led to the clearing in a blindfold. And like all other Moonlight Order gatherings, they began with the story of the Boogie Woman. Sarah Boogie Woman. According to tradition, the guest would tell the final story of the night. If the others liked it, they'd join the group. 
But Eleanor wasn't like anyone who came before. Through the whole evening, the others had joked around, jumping out from behind trees like idiots and passing around beers. But Eleanor kept to herself. She was quiet, mysterious. And when it was her turn to tell a story, she shared the tale of a young girl, Mary, raised away from society by her loving mother, Once upon a time, there was a beautiful young girl who lived deep in the dark, dark forest. Her name was Mary. Mary was the mirror image of her doting, adoring mother. They shared rich auburn hair, shiny blue eyes, and a laugh like wind chimes. Though they lived far from any village, they were content. Her mother filled her childhood with every trinket, every toy, every tiny bit of joy she could provide her beloved daughter. Every day, the little girl would wander through the wood, picking berries and herbs. Every night, her mother would make her daughter tea and read until she fell asleep. Though Mary loved her mother, sometimes she would grow lonely. And during those times, she learned to make friends in the forest. Fairies, unicorns, imaginary friends. She loved the woods. But she knew to fear it, too. Witches ride at night. Her mother would tell her, wrapping her arms of protection around Mary's shuddering shoulders. Monsters awake from their slumber and wolves devour all they find. At age 11, Mary and her mother had a fight. In front of the same fire, reading the same stories, drinking the same tea as they did night after night after night. Mary told her mother she was bored that she never let her go anywhere, that she was going crazy. And for a moment, her mother's eyes flashed with something Mary had never seen before. Something like fire. But as soon as it was there, it was gone, and Mary's mother sobbed. That night, Mary took the teacups into the kitchen, and in that kind of silent, petty revenge teenagers excel in, she dumped the rest of her tea out instead of finishing it. And that's the night she heard the monster. Mary had never woken up in the middle of the night before. But here she was, awake, with the shining moon high overhead. She wondered at the vastness of the night sky, her breath fogging the glass in her window. And then she heard it. It came from directly below Mary's bedroom. It was the loudest, most heart-wrenching, terrible scream she had ever heard. The walls shook with it. Birds fled the trees, flying across the moon. Whatever it was, it screamed, and it screamed, and it screamed. Mary buried her face into her pillow, plugging her ears with all her might. But the screaming continued to haunt her, and she lied awake until she saw the sun. Mother, did you hear the wailing last night? The plate her mother was drying had fallen to the floor. My dearest, you must have had a nightmare. No, I was awake. I kept hearing the most horrible sounds. Mary's mother raced to her beloved daughter and wrapped her in her arms. Oh, my darling, you heard one of the monsters of the forest. Like I've told you, the night is when they rule this earthly plain. But in the morning, the monsters are gone. That night... 
Mary's mother watched as she drank every drop of her tea. That convinced her. Mary didn't know why her mother was drugging her asleep, but she was determined to find out. So Mary got clever. It took some time, but she learned how to sneak mouthfuls of tea back into the cup, pour it into plants behind her mother's back. And in that time, she heard more and more every night. Thumps. Moans. Weeping. Unearthly, gurgling cries. All at night, all from below her floorboards. Weeks later, Mary convinced her mother to let her take her tea to her room so she could read in bed. Instead, she dumped the tea out of the window. With all her wits about her, she was determined to find the truth. Late that night, she waited for the first of the moans. When it came, she stole from her bed, peeled back her rug, and pressed her ear to the floorboards. And she knocked. It heard her. Uh, hello? The sounds were moving. Keeping her ear to the floor, she followed the thumps across the floorboards, up the wall, out her door, and down the hall, and there they stopped. Mary's mother was a weaver, and her masterpiece tapestry hung in the hallway. It told the story of a blue-eyed princess falling in love with a prince with corn-blonde hair and eyes green as emeralds. It came from right behind the tapestry. But how? Mary's fingers found the edges of the fairy tale tapestry and peeled them back. A door. Mary reached for the handle, took a deep breath, and pulled. Darkness. She grabbed an oil lamp, lit it, and made her way down the narrow secret passageway. Colder and colder with each dirty stone step, the light from the oil lamp reached into the shadows, embracing and exposing the space within. It was a room the exact size of Mary's, but inverse. Instead of a goose feather bed, there was a filthy pile of straw. The room's only decoration were two framed pictures, lit by the light of the moon creeping in from a single barred grate, serving as its only window. Mary crept to the pictures, raising her lamp to the first. It was her mother, younger, happier, with a handsome, gorgeous man, a man with hair blonde as corn, eyes green as emeralds. The second picture was her mother as well, looking worn, tired, a forced smile but fury in her eyes, flanked by two little girls, young enough not to remember that day. One the spitting image of her mother, the other with hair the color of corn and eyes green as emeralds. Suddenly Mary knew she was not alone. As she slowly turned her head, she saw her. It was like looking into a cursed, inverted mirror. The bloody, mangled girl stumbled her way to Mary. Bruised arms reached out for her as if to grasp her, if they could. She didn't have any hands. Mary's hands shook, but her heart swelled, and she placed her hands on the bloody, eyeless face of her sister. And Mary realized she had been mistaken. The monster had been living upstairs the whole time. Mary grasped her sister tight as low, gurgling sobs escaped her tongueless mouth. 
Mary whispered into her undamaged ears. I'll get you out of here, I promise. And for a moment, it seemed possible, beautifully possible. But then they heard wind chimes. The monster had found them. Mary, sweetest, go back upstairs. We know there was a struggle. No, not without my sister. And there was a knife. You were never meant to know. And Mary failed to save her sister. But oil lamps are fickle things. And straw is so flammable. And teenage girls are strong creatures, especially when they have watched a sister die. And doors are so easily locked. (laughs) Mary rejoined the world but remained plagued by her sister's tortured soul. She had to know that Sarah was free from suffering. She immersed herself into black magic and the occult, creating her own book of witchcraft, as she desperately tried to find a way to either contact her sister or free her for good. Finally, she found a spell she thought could work. She sliced her hand deeply, bleeding onto the pages while reciting the text. But there was no response of any kind, and if Sarah had been freed, she gave no sign to her sister. Mary considered herself a failure when she died. Her clandestine book of spells waited in the shadows for two hundred years, finally reaching the hands of her great-great-granddaughter, Eleanor who found the book, rotting, tattered and bulging, with additions and drawings. Some pages were torn, some burnt or scratched out, some smeared with what appeared to be blood. Learning of her family history, Eleanor became obsessed with the lives of Sarah and Mary, and eventually vowed to complete what Mary had started. And by the 90s, Eleanor was quickly able to learn of something that Mary never knew existed. Something called the Moonlight Order. The group wasn't hard to find, nor was it difficult to earn an invitation. And so, that night, in 1993, Eleanor revealed herself to the others and stood before them, cutting her hand deeply and letting the fresh blood fall to the pages uniting with Mary's, and into the soil below. Eleanor's great-great-grandmother knew the ritual needed her family's blood, but she had never realized it had to take place at the site of the death. As Eleanor finished the conjuring spell, a massive fireball burst from the flames, forcing the group back into the tree line in terror. Seconds later, The campfire returned to the low glow of the retiring embers. The crickets were quiet. The wind still. Do you think it worked? I don't know. I hope so. Do you have any idea what the consequences could be messing around with this stuff? I set her free. What she does now? That's for Sarah to decide. We didn't do anything to deserve this. Are you so sure about that? Eleanor, we are not our ancestors. We're the ones honoring her. Honoring her? (laughs) Gary, please. Who was the monster in your story tonight? 
Sarah. Sarah, what? Sarah, boogie woman. Two hundred years treated like a joke. Her name was Bogan. Sarah, Eleanor, Bogan. Sarah's long separated blood relative pointed her knife at the boy. You look just like him in the firelight, you know. He abandoned his entire family because he was too scared of what others might think. It's his fault that Sarah was tortured her entire life, and her mother and sister died in agony. And now you have the nerve to gather and take pleasure in their pain. Whatever you think this is, Eleanor, it isn't justice. Think about it. It's not fair. No, maybe not. But I appreciate your time tonight. Thank you for listening to my story. Now Sarah is finally free, and whatever happens next, maybe you deserve it. And Sarah was free, to take revenge upon a town that refused to save her. A wave of violence swept the normally quiet area as the spell took hold of the town. The conjuration that Mary had selected allowed Sarah to possess the townspeople and force them to commit horrific acts on themselves, each other. Have you ever heard of someone who just snaps? Cars drove off roads into crowds or buildings. There were shootings, stabbings, people poisoned, and fires. Sarah loved fires. She used the town to show just how monstrous humans can be. Of course, there's no way to prove it, and the incidents mostly petered out after a few years. The authorities and papers did everything they could to sweep it under the rug, and the town, more or less, returned to normal. People tend not to believe in something unless they can see it, and demons don't often leave footprints. The general public had basically immortalized it all as a campfire story before a decade had even passed, and in those years that followed, the clearing remained empty. The kids who knew of the Moonlight Order were too scared to brave the woods and reignite the flame, and no one knew what had become of Eleanor or the group from 1993. For over two decades, the Order was quiet, but an ember in the ashes can spark and burn long after parting from the flame, and eventually, a group of storytellers found each other. Who respected the history of the stories, and believed in them, and who braved the dark woods to gather once again in Sarah's clearing. Centuries ago, the Moonlight Order was established by people just like us, surrounded by trees just like these, and it's our honor to record them, new and old, to pass on to all who listen. For Sarah, Bogan. Now you know the weight of the question we're asking when you hear. Want to hear a scary story? <laughs>